most of our country right now is moderate. You know, our pundits may not want us to think that. Our politicians may not want us to think that. We just did polling again. There was 79% support for humane and orderly and safe immigration practices for Republicans and Democrats coming together and solving this issue. So it is our Congress that um, needs to step up and act. That is Jenny Murray, the CEO of the National Immigration Forum. A couple of months ago, Jenny found herself here in San Antonio, and we had a chance to talk about immigration and where we go from here. Our conversation was recorded on March the 28th, two months prior to the lifting of Title 42 and the surge of migrants seeking asylum along the Texas-Mexico border. But before we get to Jenny, I want to provide some context. Some members of Congress prefer not to allow any fixing of our immigration system until more border security measures are taken, while others refuse to support any border security measures until our immigration system can be fixed. It's the congressional version of which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Congress hasn't passed meaningful immigration reform legislation since President Reagan signed into law the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986. That was 37 years ago. And over that time, our economy has changed, our workforce has changed, migration patterns have changed, not to mention 9-11, a pandemic, inflation, recessions, and more. In business, companies are always looking to mitigate risk, solve problems, pivot, adjust, and adapt to an ever-changing economic climate. Sadly, Congress doesn't seem to be able to do that. When I toured the Migrant Respite Center in McAllen a few years ago, Sister Norma Bimentel of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley put a three-day-old Nicaraguan baby in my arms to help me fully appreciate the humanity of the situation. I didn't need to be convinced, but it was quite moving. In our nation's capital, the game of chicken and egg continues, and our country continues to suffer from the lack of action by Congress. I remember in one meeting, a United States senator who was not from Texas asked me for a solution to the immigration problem. So I gave him one, and he responded by saying, well, thanks, Eddie, but that's a real solution. What I need is a political solution. Former Texas Congressman Kika de la Garza from McAllen used to say that legislation is the art of the possible. It is what is possible at that moment in time with the elected leaders you have in place. So, with that, let's go back to another moment in time. April 4th, 1980, in Houston, Texas, where George Herbert Walker Bush was debating Ronald Reagan in the Republican primary for President of the United States. At a candidate forum hosted by the League of Women Voters, the candidates were asked how they would address the issue of illegal immigration. First, let's hear from candidate Bush. I'd like to see something done about the illegal alien problem that would be so sensitive and so understanding about labor needs and human needs that that problem wouldn't come up. The problem has to be solved because with, as we have kind of made illegal some kinds of labor that I'd like to see legal, we're doing two things. We're creating a whole society of really honorable, decent, family-loving people that are in violation of the law, and secondly, we're exacerbating relations with Mexico. To put that comment in context, 
In 1980, most of the migrants were coming from Mexico. Today, most of the migrants come from what is called the Northern Triangle of Countries, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala. There is a push-pull phenomenon for migrants, especially for those seeking asylum. It's the unrest, political instability, and civil war in their home countries that push migrants out. And the pull from the United States can be found in the opportunity of freedom, safety, and a job. Now let's hear how candidate Reagan answered that question. I think the time has come that the United States and our neighbors, particularly our neighbor to the South, should have a better understanding and a better relationship than we've ever had. Rather than making them or talking about putting up a fence, why don't we work out some recognition of our mutual problems, make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. And when they go on to go back, they can go back and they can cross and open the border both ways. As we all now know, Reagan went on to win that Republican primary and selected Bush as his vice presidential running mate. And in November of 1980, the Reagan-Bush ticket defeated President Jimmy Carter and Vice President Walter Mondale in the general election. Eight years later, in his final address to the nation on the eve of his departure from the White House, President Reagan made reference to immigration once more. His comments about America as a shining city on a hill that stood as a beacon of freedom were featured years later in a National Immigration Forum Action Fund commercial. I've spoken of the shining city all my political life, God-blessed and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors, and the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. That's how I saw it and see it still. Now. If you're thinking that is not how Republicans sound today on immigration, you'd be right. So that begs the question about Democrats. So let me take you to another moment in time, January of 1995, where President Clinton gave his State of the Union address before a joint session of Congress. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more, by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. We are a nation of immigrants but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it. I challenge you to find a Democrat who is giving a version of that speech today. My point is that both parties have lost their way on this issue. Now, Many other things have changed. The cartels in Mexico have grown massively over the years, and they control the movement of people. It's hard these days to enter the United States without having to pay the cartels because they control the entry points. But in this sea of change, 
lies one single constant. The American people are tired of fighting, arguing, and debating this issue. And in poll after poll after poll, an overwhelming number of Americans are adamant in their demand that Congress resolve this issue once and for all. Now, with all of that context in mind, let's get to the interview. Our guest today is Jenny Murray, CEO of the National Immigration Forum. This is Jenny's second at-bat with the forum, having spent eight years overseeing business engagement and immigrant inclusion efforts for the forum from 2013 to 2020. Today, she leads the Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit overseeing advocacy, coalition building, and integration work, among other efforts, and she's with us here in studio in San Antonio. Ready, Jenny? Ready, Eddie. Then that means it's time to get Beyond the Bite. Jenny, you became CEO of the National Immigration Forum when? In October of 2022, so I've just this week hit six months. I got to know you. I served as a board chair 2018, 2019, 2020, so we overlapped a little time there. You left and went to the West Coast, and uh, what drew you back to the forum? Yeah, I mean, you know, I really believe that most of our country is at in this moderate majority, right, is in this moderate place on immigration that really most of the country wants very pragmatic, humane solutions, believes immigrants um, make us great, make this country wonderful, um, are the important backbone of the country, right, and the future potentially. And so I very much believe that I, I come from a family of immigrants, both you know, my native born family and also my spouse is a, was an adult immigrant um, to the U.S. And so when I learned that the position opened back up, I really wanted to be back at the forum because I feel that this organization just drives that conversation in the middle that's so important that I feel much of the country, you know, falls into. The forum focuses its work around four service pillars. You want to talk about those pillars? Yeah. So we do um, four very important pieces of work. Um, so we do, of course, work on major reform issues. We're, um, you know, working to make sure that we push forward policy solutions that help to reform our whole system, whether folks are migrating through a business visa, a business-based visa, or family reunification, whatever it might be, that we know that the entire system needs, you know, a large overhaul. And so we're always focused on those those policy uh, reform efforts. And it seems like regardless of what side of the political spectrum that you're on, everyone seems to agree that our current system doesn't work. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Our current system is old, if you will. It's from 1986 is the last time that we really updated our system as a whole, as a connected system. We ever since then, we've been uh, trying again. In fact, there was a large actual piece of legislation that was being proposed through the George W. Bush administration, actually the morning of 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, and so that fell away, of course, because our nation had a lot of needs at the moment. But ever since then, we've been trying to take cracks again. We had a huge one that you, I know we have been connected over time in the 2013. We had the Gang of Eight. Um, so our entire system needs an overhaul, and we all agree I know, I know it cut you off from the yeah. other pillars, but you mentioned George Bush. And if you go back and watch the video, the, the sort of the documentary of, of 
Uh, Mexican President Vicente Fox was visiting with President Bush on the 10th of September, the day Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, literally the story goes that the document was on the desk waiting um, on the morning of September 11th. Okay, so pillar number two. Yeah, so we do a lot of integration and citizenship work. So we actually work very closely with the business community, the corporate community, um, and have put together a couple of main services. One is a citizenship um, service that helps folks be able to take that final step of citizenship. It bolsters workforce and community, bolsters individuals, helps them become a full part of our society. Many employers do help their employees with work permits and reauthorizing and renewing those. But for folks that take that final step to become U.S. citizens really helps to improve, you know, our communities and individuals' lives. So we work on the integration pieces of citizenship, also English language learning. We work with many companies with a project we have called English at Work that helps um, uh, employees learn right at the work site using their company lingo and their industry lingo to be able to do their jobs better and then, of course, improve their lives. So we focus a lot on integration and citizenship as well. And I'm going to come back to the integration item in a minute because I, wa- I want you to share an example of of that that mm-hmm. uh, that you worked on yep. in in your first um, your earlier tenure with the forum. Okay, number three, and then borders. I sit here in San Antonio, so glad to be here to learn from Texans. I think that Texans and folks from Arizona and California, folks that have that border shared with Mexico, have a lot to teach us about um, what is really happening at the border, what's not. Um, and how we can together put together, you know, humane and safe solutions to make it better. So we are in the thick of that work ourselves as well. Absolutely. Okay. And the last one. Yeah. And then our state and local immigration initiatives. This is something we're going to be very focused on. We already are uh, looking a lot at, um, there's some bills right now in Florida that we're thinking a lot about. There's a lot of state level bills that are focused on dreamers right now. Uh, You know, we are worried, of course, that um, the Supreme Court will likely shoot down DACA. And so it looks like states are sort of jumping in. It's proposed to either be this June that the court will take the case or next June on the docket. And so we're starting to see states really lean in and put together their own solutions. Uh, For example, right now in Florida, there's a few very problematic um, bills being proposed that would for example, uh, give a felony to someone who might be driving someone in the car who's a dreamer, um, even if they don't know, they might be dreamers. So harbor, you know, harboring a fugitive basically is the way that the bill reads. Shortly after my interview with Jenny on March 28th, as Senate Bill 1718 was moving its way through the Florida legislature, the National Immigration Forum, working closely with the faith community, was successful in taking out the most egregious part of the bill that would have penalized anyone transporting an undocumented immigrant anywhere in the state. The bill would have penalized residents even if they were unaware that the individual they were transporting was undocumented. The final version of the bill, signed into law by Governor DeSantis, now only targets those transporting migrants across state lines into the state of Florida. So we're really worried about some of those types of efforts that are kind of happening in the vacuum of not having this fully functioning system and waiting on the Supreme Court to rule on DACA. 
So along the lines of that last pillar, state and local immigration developments, and, you know, this podcast is, is about the intersection of business, public policy, and politics. And immigration is found right in the middle of that, among many like, other yes, issues. Yes, we can't get out of the three of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, people might wonder, you know, why is San Antonio involved in this discussion, in this debate? And the reality is during large influxes of migrants crossing into Texas, a lot of them end up here. Mm. And so the, the mayor started an intake center just mm -hmm. to be able to give migrants after they've been processed mm -hmm. by Border Patrol or ICE or Customs the ability to recharge their cell phone, get something to eat, have a place to sleep until they can reconnect with their family. Yeah, it's so important. And border communities are stepping up um, in incredible ways, um, just as you said. It is really important for us to learn from you all and the other communities, right, that are leading the way. And, you know, we're hearing a lot. I mean, I'd love to share some of that. I mean, we're hearing a lot from these communities that are saying, you know, we really need federal support to be able to meet this need. There's a lot of aid that can be offered. You know, FEMA's aid can be offered at, at a greater amount with a congressional act. Right. Um, we can see the asylum system being supported better with many more resources for, for border agents um, and other processing, as well as adjudication, right? So there's a huge need. So what we're hearing a lot, and correct me if I'm wrong, Eddie, because you, you do live here, but what I'm hearing is that border communities are not saying largely, we don't want these folks to come here. They're saying, help let us meet this need. Yes, we would love for Congress to figure out What's the problem? This is just a symptom of the problem, right? Please fix that so that we can stop having a surge, um, which is an important conversation to have, but also help us meet the need of folks once they do get here while they're awaiting processing. There aren't any communities I've run into who say that they don't want to help in the interim, right? That they don't want to meet the need. Yes, this, is, this has been a main issue because the, the local border communities end up picking up the cost. And then in some cases, uh, several years ago, when you had this massive wave that came all at once, you have Border Patrol agents that are changing diapers. They're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And now a lot of that has been filled, at least in the McAllen area, mm -hmm. by Catholic charities. People from all over the country were coming to McAllen uh, to be able to pitch in, even if it's just for a few hours. They're given, as Sister Norma Pimentel there in McAllen, who has been an honoree yes, of your Keepers of the American Dream Award. 2018 or 19. Yes. COVID years have gotten me. I can't remember what it was <laughs> just before COVID. Yeah. And so she likes to say that that facility is a place to restore dignity, you mm. know, allowing yeah. people to take a shower, brush their teeth, get some food, get a good night's rest before they continue their journey and catch up with their family. But this is uh, obviously a, a major issue in Texas. But I want to go back to your your second item, because when you talk about in integration and citizenship, there are a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast who just focused on the citizenship part. And I want to talk about integration for two reasons. The first one is one of the things that you talk about, and actually, I guess it's your first pillar, and that's workforce needs of the country and trying to mm -hmm. meet the needs of our economy. Yeah. You have often said that our economy creates new jobs every single day. Mm -hmm. And um, if you look, if you do simple math mm -hmm. and you look at the demographics of this country, we're not having enough children 
to be able to right. meet the current needs, much less the future needs of the country. Exactly. I mean, you know, I have a seven-year-old child. Last time I checked, it takes 18 years to grow a worker, right? From, <laughs> yes. from womb to, although I've, I've, heard, I've seen people recently say they want younger workers and <laughs> that's a whole movement. But, you know, it takes 18 years to grow a worker. And um, right now, actually, if we were to just increase legal workforce right now by 37%, and Eddie, I know you know what that means when I say those numbers. That's a huge number of workers, we would only just break even with the rapidly retiring boomer rate, right, in the workforce. That's huge. It's, it is huge. And I'm not sure the country truly understands the average American, the average Texan truly understands how these numbers work. I like to share the example of my family because my father was one of 11 children. Mm-hmm. My mother was one of 11 children. Mm-hmm. I'm one of five. My wife is one of five Mm -hmm. and we have three and three is above the norm today Mm -hmm. because it takes uh, the replacement fertility rate is 2.1 children per adult female. And in the United States, our fertility rate is 1.8, which Mm -hmm. is below Mm -hmm. uh, replacement level. So when it comes to human capital, you either create your own human capital, which we're not doing because we're not Mm -hmm. having enough children, or you import your human capital, which we're not doing because we have an immigration system that doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we have talked about this before, I know, but I was in Japan for Thanksgiving. They have finally just opened up to tourists, right? And of course, being an immigration, a person who focuses on immigration all the time, I told myself, I'm going to look for anyone who's not Japanese just to see. And I counted four workers all working at the same restaurant in my entire time in Japan who I identified as likely foreign born, yes, uh, not from Japan. So- you know, and you and I both know that um, the aging population in Japan is a huge issue with such a, a restrictive immigration process, right? And we don't want to see the U.S. get to that place where we're being so restrictive. You know, it's a national security problem. I mean, we have national security experts that we work with who are very concerned about our farm worker issue because now that we're starting to export less food than we're importing, it's now becoming a national security challenge. Well, most definitely because you have American uh, farmers and ranchers who realize it's too difficult to import the workers and the laborers that they need. So they end up growing our food outside of the United States. That's right. And that becomes not only food security, but national security. And Japan is the poster child for... They're considered to be past the point of no return. That's right. Their fertility rate is 1.3. Mm-hmm. And, and they're in rapid decline mode now at this point. Yes. China finally did away with their one-child mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get to that point and you have this kind of workforce, the, the challenge that China is going to have is they don't have anybody to take care of their elderly population. That's right. And we don't either. 44% of our healthcare population, our healthcare workers are foreign born in the U.S. And that's not even mentioning the nursing shortage that we have. So we we still have huge gaps to even fill what the roles we need now. And one third of the physician workforce is made up of boomers that are retiring. Exactly. And so for all the others that are entering retirement, mm-hmm. at that age, the older you get, the more healthcare services you traditionally consume. That's right. And so if the country is consuming more healthcare services, but we have, we're losing one third of the physician workforce, 
Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it just doesn't add up, right? The numbers just don't add up. And, you know, Eddie, the thing that I think is really interesting on on the worker side and um, and partnering with companies really right now is also not only is this just a sheer numbers, like how many workers do we need? The labor shortage issue is intense right now just to meet the demand, but it's also a DEI initiative that so many companies have started to lean into because the immigrant population brings so much rich diversity with it, like incredible training often, mm-hmm. many types of skills uh, and many different types of levels and different types of professional backgrounds. Um, but also they add so much diversity to the work site, right? And so a lot of the companies that we've been partnered with, we have a corporate roundtable. And a lot of the companies that we work with, you know, are, th- are really starting to think about immigrants and integration and refugees as an important part of their DEI initiatives as well. So not only does it meet the worker needs that they have and the bottom line, but also it helps to diversify the workforce, which is a huge initiative, of course, that companies have been focused on the last decade, if not definitely the last couple of years. So since you were talking about the role of the business community, I want to take you back to 2018. I think that was my first year as as a chairman of the board and you and I happened to be in Bentonville, Arkansas at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we paid a visit to Walmart. At that point, you were overseeing business engagement. And one of the aspects of the forum, it was the new American economy effort. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk about that and how Walmart used it to help promote from within? Yeah, no, thank you. So actually, this initiative was started, inspired by Bethlehem Steel, if you'll remember. So Bethlehem Steel, at the turn of the last century, uh, was offering tons of what we would call immigrant integration services. They certainly didn't call it that in 1915 and 20. Um, But they were offering health benefits and English language learning and a number of really incredible transportation and um, a lot of assistance to their employees who were a lot of steel workers. There were a lot of foreign born workers. So fast forward to, you know, um, to uh, around 2013, I came to start what we called New American Workforce. New American Workforce, to your good point, uh, Walmart was one of our, our seed partners who helped us to start that. Um, and what we've done is really put together this best practices for companies to help them understand what does it really mean to welcome and integrate these workers to make sure that we are giving them access to the skills and training they need so that they continue to give back to our their own workforce, but also continue to move up? And Walmart's a great example, right? So we have a citizenship portal that they helped us start, as I mentioned earlier, an English language training program called English at Work that their foundation helped us start. Um, but also they think a lot about internal promotion, right? So they're very proud of the fact that they, a lot of their store managers who are making six figures are often promoted from the front lines up. In fact, um, recently I just heard that one of the Afghan newcomers who came and was hired at Walmart has now just become a store manager, has worked their way up to become wow. a store manager from the evacuation. Wow. And I guess back then, you had a lot of employees who were limited in their ability to go up the socioeconomic ladder because of their inability to be fluent in English. That's so right. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of this program was this company portal that allowed employees to get on and take classes. Yeah. So for the English class side, um, you know, Whole Foods and Kroger and Publix and a number of our partners have now used that. And what they see is after one 12-week session, 
they see employees move up an entire proficiency level on the national scale. And then they repeat that. So they keep offering it to their employees and they see those employees continue to move up. And so it's really, in, you know, increasing their career pathway growth and the opportunities that they have. But it's also doing amazing integration things like allowing them to be able to speak to their kids' teachers, to be able to volunteer with the soccer club, um, you know, in their community or whatever that is. It's allowing them to fully integrate um, and to be able to give back, which they all want to do. One of the things that the forum has done well is serve as a convener. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, this very unique coalition called Bibles Business Badges Mm -hmm. came into reality and it allowed the forum to bring people together that may not have been talking otherwise on this topic. Can you, can you touch on that? Yeah, exactly. So we pulled together evangelical leaders from the faith side, law enforcement. So uh, there's an evangelical immigration um, table that has a number of the large evangelical groups like World Relief and and others that come together and really form that. Then we have the Law Enforcement Immigrant Task Force. We have over 130 police chiefs and sheriffs across the country who are a part of that. And they're very much committed to the fact that they want to build their communities through community policing and build trust. And they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to necessarily have to get involved, um, of course, with ICE and other practices. Let me just jump in here real quick, because I think for a lot of people who aren't familiar with the concerns here from the immigrant community, uh, if an immigrant is a witness to a crime, they may not likely to be uh, to report it for fear that the police, local police or sheriff is going to call ICE. Mm hmm. And so your comments about community policing, these are all goals of this um, network of law enforcement officials. Yeah, exactly, right? So if you've been building trust in a particular neighborhood for 20 years, right, with maybe a migrant neighborhood, and all of a sudden now they are very much afraid of reporting crimes to you, you know, partnering with you to to inform what they've seen in other situations. Um, you've lost all of that work that you've been doing to really build that community to make sure it's a safe community because you need to be able to, you know, police everyone in your community, regardless of of their immigration status, right? You need to be able to have all neighbors working together and working with you. And so that's really what the the um, task force um, tries to put forward. Um, then we also have the Business Coalition, which is our, our corporate roundtable for the new American workforce. And then this new addition, this last two years, is our um, Council for National Security and Immigration which has been an incredible uh, addition to these unlikely and really fun um, group, uh, you know, grouping of really incredible leaders. And for national security, um, these are folks, I mean, they were, some of them were at DHS in the Trump administration or through uh, Bush's years, right? Um, And they are uh, very trusted and they're able to stand up and say, you know, our refugee process is a very safe one. The vetting process is very safe. Here's where we have concerns at the border. Here's where we need more resources. And then this food security thing, they're the only ones out there really talking about, look, this is a national security challenge, right? So they can have that really unique conversation around safety and security and um, our northern and southern and ports of entry um, protection process. So as controversial as, as immigration and border security can be, 
Do you ever feel like you can make progress while while people are arguing and uh, shouting? I mean, a yeah. lot of times there's a layer of noise up here, but if you stay focused with nose to the grindstone yeah. to actually get something done, yeah, um, you can perhaps achieve something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, that's why we pull these these four this group of four together because they all agree, which is so interesting on immigration, right? Many of these folks are what I call the moderate majority. So most of our country right now is moderate. Um, our, you know, our pundits may not want us to think that, our politicians may not want us to think that, but the majority of our country, we just did polling again uh, with the Bullfinch group, I think it was three weeks ago. And we found even with Republicans, um, this, so self-identified registered voters who are Republicans, conservatives, and evangelicals, um, there was 79% support for humane and orderly and safe immigration practices for Republicans and Democrats coming together and solving this issue. So the country supports this. We are on the same page. It is our Congress that um, needs to step up and act, uh, needs to not leave you know, the administration to have to only do executive actions but need to come together and together be a collective government, right? And to solve this issue. It's really not us. I'd be willing to wager that if you ask the question on the poll, would you like to not have to discuss immigration and border security anymore? The, the answer would be 100% a yes. Uh, yes. They would. They solve would love it. to solve it. Yeah. And move on. We have so many problems in exactly. this country that we need to work on. At the, so we did this exact same polling, actually, just before, um, just at the end of the lame duck session, the last Congress just before Christmas. And we specifically put in a question, the same question. And we said, do you want Cong this 117th Congress to solve it this year in 2022? And they said, yes, put it, you know, put it to bed. So uh, something else that you do, and I've always enjoyed, um, I've always liked the name Leading the Way, mm -hmm. and it is the name of your pol annual policy conference, mm -hmm. which is traditionally held in the fall in Washington, D.C., but you've made a decision about this policy conference, so tell us about it. That's right. Yeah, we are bringing it to Texas. We there are so go. excited. Yes, we are leading the way, um, and we are wanting to come to communities who are leading the way, who are leading the discussion, who are really uh, grappling, highlighting immigration in a good way and grappling with immigration in the daily life. Um, and so we're so excited to be in Texas for the first time this fall in Houston. Um, we have four Texas board members. So we've got two in Houston, Mustafa Tamiz and Claudia Ortega Hogue. And then we've got Glenn Hammer and Bishop Mark Seitz. Glenn in... Austin, Austin and Bishop Seitz in El Paso. And so uh, we are bringing the conversation to Houston, um, to Texas, to learn from and highlight the good. And um, hopefully then taking it with us back to D.C. next year for an election year and then hopefully back on the road after that. So, well, first of all, congratulations. Um, Mustafa and Claudia are both Houston based. Glenn is the CEO of the Texas Association of That's Business right. and, and I serve as their treasurer. So yes. he and I work together very closely on that. Um, and then Bishop Seitz is uh, the Bishop of El Paso. That's right. That's right. And he's an incredible expert in his own right on the border and has and actually welcomed Biden uh, two months ago. So he was one of the few folks 
who had a private audience with the president at uh, in El Paso when he came. He did. And I think he also chairs the Catholic Conference of Bishops Committee on Migration. Oh, wow. You nailed it. That's yeah. a long one. Good job. Yes, uh, he does. I think he just assumed that position and he and, and we're really excited to stay connected with him on that work. Well, we're looking forward to the policy conference leading the way. Where can people go for more information, both on the conference and overall on the National yeah. Immigration Forum? So just drop the national part. It's immigrationforum.org. Okay. Um, and we'd love for you to come by, check out the events, um, check out our work. Uh, we have a ton of policy actions as well. We have an action center so folks can look up their state and, and take actions directly um, also there. And then you also honor people with your Keepers of the American Dream Award. That's right. Um, that is also in the fall. That will be in Washington um, in October? October 18th in okay. Washington, D.C. Yeah, we usually um, honor from those four constituency groups that we talked about. We usually honor, a, you know, a law enforcement leader, a faith leader, a business leader, uh, an extraordinary individual from the community who's um, welcoming newcomers. And it's a really good time to get together and say, you know, thank you for keeping the American dream alive, um, dusting it off every couple of years when we need to. And uh, thank you for continuing to be a beacon of light and hope, um, which we, many of us want our country to continue to be. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful ceremony and it's, it's wonderful to see people be honored for the work that they do in a variety of, of cases, um, depending upon their life journey, their life story, or where they have spent uh, giving back to their communities, their regions, their states. Jenny, always great to see you. So good to see you, Eddie. Thank you for all the ways that you continue to, to welcome this conversation and, and lead it yourself. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's been wonderful. Our guest today has been Jenny Murray, CEO of the National Immigration Forum. As always, we thank you for listening. Beyond the Bite is produced by Aldretta Strategic Partners, LLC in San Antonio, Texas. It's edited by Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media. This episode is available wherever you get your podcast. If you would like to be notified of every new podcast episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Our Twitter handle is at BeyondTheByteEA. Or if you have thoughts, ideas, or suggestions and feedback, drop us a line at BeyondTheByteEA at gmail.com.